title of, of the time we're going to share together. I, I can't resist it, and those of you who know me, it's when I see a title for a conference, it's other words start going through my mind. And I know free isn't in the title of this conference, but radical is in practice. So I started thinking of, you know, how can we tie some science into this? This is actually a CME talk. Um, have you ever wondered what Jesus might use as his object lessons today? What would Christ's object lessons be? What we now understand through science can be seen as a teaching tool. Can you imagine hearing him say the kingdom of heaven is like free radicals and antioxidants? Notice this quote uh, from Ellen White. Every phase of experience, every act of life, she says, the Bible is its own expositor. Scripture is to be compared with Scripture. The student, that's each of us, should learn to view the word as a whole and to see the relation of its parts. He should gain a knowledge of its grand central theme of God's original purpose for the world, of the rise of the great controversy, and of the work of redemption. He should understand the nature of the two principles that are contending for supremacy and should learn to trace their working through the records of history and prophecy and we might say physiology, to the great consummation. He should see how this controversy enters into every phase of human experience, how in every act of life he himself reveals the one or the other of the two antagonistic motives, and how, whether he will or not, he is even now deciding upon which side of the controversy he will be found. In the book Education, page 190, you're probably familiar with that. And as the song we just heard, the words we speak, the actions we take, are going to have consequences in other people's lives. Will they be there? Well, I like to break things down. Let's break down our title. What does it mean to be free? Here's some definitions. Not under the control or in the power of another. Able to act or be done as one wishes. Have our own way not physically restrained, obstructed or fixed, unimpeded, or as an adverb, without cost or payment. What does it mean to be free? What is the only source of true freedom? Notice the obvious spiritual implications, especially of without cost or payment, and of course the others as well. What are the costs and responsibilities of freedom, both individual and corporate? God's justifying grace has been given to all men as a free gift. If the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. We should never forget that in all our dealings with our patients and colleagues, this principle holds true. The rich blessings of the gospel through the cross of Christ are in stark contrast to the bondage and suffering of humanity and Adam, these two antagonistic principles. And the blessings in Christ are free to all. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and onward tells us that we see others differently in this view of the cross. We become ambassadors of the good news. The free gift is not like the offense. The one man's offense, many died by that one offense, but much more by the grace of God and the gift by the grace of God in the one man, Jesus Christ, this abounded to many. It's a free gift. It results in justification of life for all men. Do they know that? Well, what's a radical? 
Well, it's a noun, a group of atoms behaving as a unit in a number of compounds. Very well, that sounds pretty dry. It comes from a word meaning root or having roots, relating to or affecting the fundamental nature of something, or advocating or based on thorough or complete political or social change, or we might say, we might add spiritual to that list, spiritual change. Because as these two principles are contending for the supremacy in the great controversy, we're taking one side or the other, and we want to be radical in the spirit of John the Baptist in our own lives and helping others in their lives. Even now the ax is laid at the root of the tree. When John the Baptist is preparing the way, he indicates that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be radical in the truest, purest sense. The real power of a word like radical is the power of the idea it communicates. And I think especially true in terms of the gospel. Most of us here in the practice of some aspect of healthcare or perhaps in pastoral practice, we all deal with people. All of us expect our walk with Christ to have practical effects in and around us. But we're still learning. We're learning what is most important in life and in practice, and that's a lifelong process. The definition here to re perform repeatedly or acquire skill, to learn by repeated performance, is especially um, important for us. We're all in this type of practice, but what are we practicing? What are we wanting to really become good at? Habitual. How can we naturally, habitually be freely radical in the best sense, in the gospel sense? We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So these blue highlighted words are all that same Strong's word for practice, for habitual. And what we do is important. It has eternal consequences. The fact that God has given eternal life to all men in his son, as we read in 1 John 5.12, means that all, including us, will reveal what they have done with that life, whether they have made a habit, a practice of letting that life have its way, live out thy life within me, or whether they have resisted and rejected that life and gone destructively in their own ways. When we look at the grand discoveries of science, when the understanding of some mechanism or property of life or physiology dawns upon us, we feel educated, we feel like we know something. It's still wise to ask ourselves the question, what do we really know? What does this knowledge tell us about God as he created all things? And it is his power that sustains all things. I like how A.T. Jones puts it. In Science Without the Bible, that by which things are held together is cohesion. But when it is asked, what is cohesion? The only answer that is, that which, by which things are held together. In science without the Bible, that by which all things are held up or held in place is gravitation. But when it is asked, what is gravitation? The only answer is, that by which all things are held up or held in place. But such answers as these are not answers at all. They are simply the saying of the same thing in a different way. Yet it is a fact that such is just the instruction that is given in the books, and such is the teaching that is given to students. 
but by it the mind of the student is caused to travel in a circle and is left wandering there, ever inquiring and finding no certain or satisfactory answer. It is proper for a student to ask what holds in their places the worlds and all things, and it is proper enough, and is it, it is proper enough to, that the answer should be gravitation. It is then proper for him to ask what is gravitation, but it is not in any sense proper to answer that gravitation is that by which all things are held in their places. And he goes on to say the same thing about cohesion. And that's what is taught in science apart from God, science without the Bible, but it's not genuine science. We need to know the reality of the things themselves. In science with the Bible, it is altogether different in that when a child or a student asks, what holds all things in their places? He can be told that it is gravitation. And when he asks, what is gravitation? He can be answered, God made the worlds by his son, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Thus, gravitation is the power of God manifested in his word through Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, the same thing is true of cohesion. This is a manifestation of the power of God. He who believes the Bible and thus becomes so acquainted with God and the power of his word that he knows and rests with perfect confidence in the knowledge that God possesses and has revealed in the Bible a philosophy and a science that it is as far beyond any that this world ever knew as heaven is higher than the earth is counted as fairly beyond the pale of respectability. But all that makes no difference with the truth. And it is the everlasting truth that in the Bible there is more and better science, truer and more profound philosophy than this world ever knew or ever can know without this book. God is. He is the former of all things. He is the only true teacher. He is ever ready and is waiting to be the teacher of all. He will willingly teach all who will be taught by him. And to all such, he will teach all knowledge and all wisdom, all science and all philosophy. For in him are hid all the treasures of philosophy and science, and ye are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. And so, when we look at science and we examine what's going on, even at the molecular level, we might well ask, what does this teach me about the power of God, about the sin problem, and about my own experience? It is in that spirit, the spirit of the learner, the student, that I would like to explore our topic this evening. What's a free radical? Yeah, well, it's an atom or molecule or ion that has unpaired valence electrons. Electrons are packets of the power of God that we call negative charge. These molecules are usually highly reactive. They will give or take to gain parity. That, that is, they'd like to have a neutral charge. They can be formed through a process that puts enough energy into the parent molecule, such as ionizing radiation, heat, electrical discharges, electrolysis, chemical reactions. With some exceptions, these unpaired electrons make free radicals highly chemically reactive toward other substances, or even towards themselves. Their molecules will often spontaneously dimerize or polymerize joined to each other. Most radicals are reasonably stable only at very low concentrations in a vacuum or in some inert media. What about mankind? How reactive is mankind in his fallen state? 
What's missing from man's experience when he's so unstable? The stabilizing power of God. Well, our topic was the good, the bad, and oxidative stress. When you think of a free radical, do you think that they're good or bad? Generally, you think they're bad. But there is a good free radical. This is it. There may be others as well. Or there are others as well. Nitric oxide. It's a gaseous signaling molecule, which is a free radical. It uh, signals the endothelial smooth muscle cells to relax. What does that do? Increases our blood flow. Uh, it can be formed through nitric oxide synthase or nitrate-rich vegetables. The health message comes into play. And particularly leafy greens, spinach, arugula, beetroot. And it also inhibits vascular smooth muscle contraction and growth, platelet aggregation, leukocyte adhesion. So it's, those are all good things for blood flow, right? It's also generated by phagocytes, these monocytes, macrophages, and neutrophils as part of the human immune response. It is toxic to bacteria and parasites. It does all kinds of things. Nitric oxide also can be produced as an immune defense mechanism, and it can, uh, in large quantities in certain situations, cause septic shock. Everything relaxes. Some of the autoimmune diseases, you'll have that type of, of behavior. It's involved in insulin secretion, modulates vascular tone, airway tone, peristalsis, blood vessel growth, neural development, all of these things. And it's just a small molecule that diffuses. Do our words that we speak stimulate a greater flow of the love of God in the lives of others? The life is in the blood, we're told. We'd like to be diffusive like the Holy Spirit is in our lives. We would like to promote spiritual health through circulation and immunity. Okay, so that's the good. What about the bad? This is one of the worst actors of the free radical um, family, the hydroxyl radical. Extremely reactive. Immediately removes electrons from any molecule in its path, turning that molecule into a free radical and so propagating a chain reaction can't be eliminated by an enzymatic reaction. It's dangerous. You know, what happens when we're just living is we're getting exposed to cosmic radiation. And we're, what percent water are we? 60 something. And when that cosmic radiation hits the water, splits that molecule, and creates superoxide, which is missing three of the four electrons that oxygen usually has. That can combine or go through a reaction. You may have hydrogen peroxide or H2O2, which is missing two of the electrons. You may get this one, the hydroxyl radical, which is missing only one. There are damaging effects of sin, even at the molecular level, but there are protections available. Notice here, though, that this hydroxyl radical is occasionally produced as a byproduct of immune action, which is actually good. Our cells can actually produce this radical at times when it's needed. 
Otherwise, though, it's very dangerous. It can damage all kinds of molecules. Um, there are some mechanisms, some endogenous antioxidants, melatonin, glutathione, dietary antioxidants. So we might think, what are the spiritual implications of these protections? Well, this is kind of a busy slide, but this gives kind of a pictorial uh, representation. You have this damage to the cell. The cell membrane can be affected. Notice in the center there, though, those are the defensive uh, enzymes, superoxide dismutase, SOD, catalase, CAT, or uh, glutathione peroxidase, which has that other symbol there. This enzyme family has the role to protect the organism from oxidative damage. It reduces the lipid peroxidases that are formed when the lipids on the outside of the cell are attacked, and it reduces them to alcohols and um, reduces free hydrogen peroxide to water. So what's the object lesson here? We might say that in Christ, all things work together for good to those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. He's able to undo the apparent irreversible damage that sin has caused us and those around us. As the Bible says, the life truly is in the blood. The red blood cell is the carrier of life-giving oxygen. In this study here uh, that you see on the screen, the defenses and healing processes were compromised in atherosclerotic smoking patients, the ones who had a rich diet and who were smoking. These enzymes were unable to do the work that they needed to do to um, neutralize these free radicals. We also would note that lifestyle choices are playing out in the principles of the great controversy, even in these red cells. Jesus is the bread from heaven. What are we eating? The earth is surrounded by an atmosphere of grace as real as the air we breathe. What are we breathing? While nitric oxide is by and large a good free radical, the reactive oxygen species that are created in the cell are chemically reactive chemical species containing oxygen. And we mentioned superoxide, the peroxides, the hydroxyl radical. In times of environmental stress, what happens in the cell is that the enzymes may not be able to keep up with neutralizing these free radicals. So there's exogenous or outside the body free radicals that are produced from pollutants, tobacco, smoke. There's endogenous reactive oxygen species, uh, and they're the product of normal oxygen metabolism within the cell. And they have some important roles in cell signaling and homeostasis or the, the health of the cell. But if they get overactive, these reactive oxygen species, we can have problems with chronic inflammation and cancer. There are times when we would like our cells to be able to kill other cells, right? If we have a bacterial infection, uh, we'd like something to get the job done. Or if we have a cell that's no longer functional, we have this process called apoptosis to get rid of old cells. And our cells make these reactive oxygen species to get rid of these um, problems. 
What do we need cleansing from? Do we have any dead cells? Do we have any dangerous um, infections of pride or selfishness or other causes of spiritual death? So oxidative stress, as we mentioned, is when there's this imbalance between the manifestation of the reactive oxygen species and the ability to detoxify these intermediates and to repair the damage. And these can, if there are disturbances in that normal state of things, called the redox state, we can have these toxic effects. Damage of proteins, lipids, DNA, even DNA. So our very, um, the very transcript of who we're to be is, is affected. So what's the application? How do we fight sin in our lives? And how do we help other people fight sin in their lives? What's the perfect balance of this activity that goes on? Or maybe we should ask, who perfectly condemned sin without condemning the sinner? Who had the perfect balance of the redox state? Can we take any lessons from him? This is a busy schematic. I don't know if you can see much of that, but uh, the green is good and the red is bad. You see the process on the right there uh, going on. This is a battle constantly going on in our cells. And these enzymes are able to convert these toxic substances into something that's, that's helpful, like water or some stable lipids that won't hurt us. The lesson here is there's a constant battle going on in our cells. There's also a constant battle going on in our minds. We're all under attack by the toxic effects of sin. But this toxicity can be neutralized if we have the right resources in hand. We need divine antioxidants. Well, here's something that will interest the cardiologists and anyone who treats people with heart disease. The metabolic heart disease due to consumption of a high fat, high sugar, or Western, so-called Western diet causes increased peroxide production and oxidative stress in cardiac mitochondria associated with decreased ATP synthesis, decreased complex two activity. It messes with the very physiology, physiology of the heart cells. They can't do their job. It impairs their ability to actually process the energy. How is our spiritual diet affecting our heart metabolism? Are we sharing the word, exercising, our ability to um, help others so as to avoid spiritual metabolic syndrome? This is part of our heart protection. Some of you may not remember the Krebs cycle. I don't think I do, but here's where the problem lies in that study. Just look at the blue arrow, right? Succinate dehydrogenase. Anybody, anybody who's in their third or fourth year of medical school still remember that? No? Shaking your heads. Okay. Well, if we need antioxidants, then how do we get them? How should we get our antioxidants? Uh, this study indicates that we do need antioxidant help from outside the body. Um, that's what they say. Exogenous, outside the body, antioxidants. Uh, they, they do say we need them, but uh, how much and where do we get them? 
who or what we reach out to for help and how we take it in is important. Here's their conclusion in this study. The balance between oxidation and antioxidation, the redox balance, is critical in maintaining a healthy biological system. So they call it the double-edged effect. It doesn't concern just the reactive oxygen species that are actually helpful you know, to some activities, but also antioxidants. Physiologic doses of exogenous antioxidants are required to maintain or reestablish redox homeostasis. So we need something from outside ourselves, right? This is also true in our sin problem. We need help from outside of ourselves. But a note there, a conclusion here, compounds within plant foods may therefore be considered as being more safe and healthy compared to isolated high doses such as present in supplements. They found the best, best health was had when you take these antioxidant in plants. And two factors, the low concentration of nutrients and non-nutrients in natural food matrices, what they're made of, and the additive or synergistic actions of complex mixture profiles of phytochemicals. Basically, God designed these plants to help us. And if we'll eat the plants he told us to eat, we'll be healthy. Sorry, that's, science is sometimes simple like that. Right? Supplementation approaches do generally not take into account both aspects. And then there's some controversial results in supplementation studies. God has designed a particular way for us to get the antioxidants we need. Plant foods, amazing. If we try and load up on antioxidants isolated from their natural plant environment, we may actually cause harm, as in this case, in this study, where the action of antibiotics are compromised by too many of the antioxidants because the the antioxidants, including oxidative stress defense proteins, significantly reduce the killing by antibiotics. So how much, you know, how many antioxidants do you want? So we might see a spiritual application there as well, or in this case, where supplements improve survival of the tumor instead of the patient. Uh, because the body is using the reactive oxygen species to actually fight the tumor and take too many antioxidants in isolation from the plant source, and you're actually saving the tumor from its destruction. Well, on the basis, this is our conclusion, on the basis of our review of the published randomized clinical trials, we conclude that the use of supplemental antioxidants during chemotherapy and radiation therapy, people under treatment for cancer, should be discouraged because of the possibility of tumor protection and reduced survival. Well, who's the vine? Jesus is the vine. He's the source of our spiritual antioxidants, right? He's the bread from heaven. Feeding on his life promotes spiritual homeostasis. We cannot safely get these resources apart from a living connection with him, with an indwelling, his indwelling presence. We might want to sing that song again, huh? Live out thy life within me. Well, maybe there's a perfect supplement somewhere that doesn't cause that harm. I was looking to see if I could find one, came across this on the internet. I'm not recommending you take this, okay? I just found this interesting. Maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't. You can research it. There's, there's papers uh, presented. This is actually from a, a paper that was presented to the FDA as part of an application so that it could be listed as a food product, this People were providing this. Hemifulvate, humic acid and fulvic acid. They call it hemifulvate or humifulvate. is a chemically identifiable source 
of standardized peat-derived humic acid. And uh, this particular product that they're describing was found in, um, in, in Hungary near Lake Balaton. Anybody from Hungary here? No? And it had um, these interesting properties. The veterinarians in the area observed that animals grazing on or near this peat deposit were exceptionally healthy compared to other animals, especially the offspring of these animals. And uh, this product, I guess, is used in Europe. Some of you may know about it. And there's a lot of research that's been done on it. Um, it's pharmacokinetics, toxicology, and efficacy. Studies found that the animals consuming the grass growing on these peat deposits experienced accelerated growth, resisted diseases commonly seen in other regions of Hungary and nearby countries, suggested the animals had ingested something that had enhanced their immune function and promoted optimal growth and disease resistance. It was believed that the peat enhanced absorption of minerals found in the plants the livestock was eating. Extensive scientific research has established that this peat deposit contains significant quantities of two predominant humate compounds, humic acid and fulvic acid, and then there's some phenolic acid as well. So at least this is valuable for healthy plants and, and animals that eat the plants are, are healthy because of what this material is doing. In summary, it appears that fulvic acids may act similarly to humic acids. This may due to their, be due to their acidic functional groups and they talk about the carboxylic acid and phenolic hydroxyl groups. And they're able to react with various species like free radicals, minerals, and biological enzyme systems. So it's like almost the, the anti-free radical. It's the, the, picturing this like the perfect antioxidant. It doesn't matter what you throw at it. It can take it in, neutralize it, make it something helpful. And perhaps why these animals were doing so well is because the minerals were being brought to the plants, all the trace minerals that, um, Things like glyphosate, you know, bind and hide out of the way. We've heard those talks in previous years. However, due to the complexity of the structure and functions of fulvic acid, this is a, a complex um, molecule. It's difficult to determine the exact mechanisms responsible for its effects seen in vivo. That's in human beings. Further research may help to explain how these substances interact with biological systems. Well. It's a mysterious material, seems to have a number of helpful properties. I'm not selling it, um, nor do I have a multi-level marketing plan for you. It's derived from plants that have died. These are dead plants. They're being processed in a certain way by uh, microorganisms, and they're creating these helpful substances. Well, that made me think. I haven't bought any of this, by the way. I'm not taking it, okay? But what's the lesson? Is there, do we have a perfect antioxidant, spiritually speaking? Christ provided a way in himself for us to identify with and experience the death that sin causes. He put to death our corporate sinful humanity in Adam that we all share. That death provides innumerable blessings for us in this world. What did Jesus say in John 12, 24? Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. There is rich growth in spiritual strength and maturity as we contemplate the cross and Christ's death for us. Well, here are some of the purported benefits of this supplement. And there are scientific studies that support these. I didn't go in and evaluate all of them 
as to whether they were, you know, how legitimate each one of them were. But these were all listed. Promotes electrochemical balance as a donor or receptor. You know, in this great controversy, um, the two principles that are fighting against each other have to do with giving and taking, right? Lucifer wanted to what? Take. And he also wants to give, but what he wants to give is nothing helpful for us. Jesus gave everything. And he was willing to take all of our sin. This process of giving and taking. Well, this substance is a powerful free radical scavenger and antioxidant. It complexes and dissolves minerals and trace elements, enhances bioavailability and transport of nutrients, detoxifies pollutants. It's a chelator of metal ions, enhances cell membrane permeability, increases protein metabolism, increases enzyme activity. So these are some of the reported benefits of the supplement. But uh, interestingly, there are some studies, you know, people may market, well, I found some peat and uh, I want to sell you this fluid that came from that, but it's not always safe to do that. For example, this is a great metal chelator or, and, uh, or of other substances, and the water in which it is is high in arsenic. Would you want to drink something that had this substance and arsenic? Actually, there's an area in China where they found that uh, people actually got this disease called Blackfoot disease because of the arsenic that this substance was carrying to them. So the source, here's the point, the source of your perfect antioxidant is very important. You don't want a chelator to transport arsenic, uh, for example. When we are dead in Christ, when we accept his death as ours, that our old man is dead in him, if we accept all of those things that the gospel teaches us, that very fact makes us a blessing in this world. Just about all of these purported benefits of fulvic acid we could see have spiritual counterparts if we just go through and look at them. How we understand the gospel has practical implications. Are we givers and forgivers? Effective messengers of the love of God, like nitric oxide? How do we best neutralize the toxicity around us that sin has caused? Like the enzymes that do that in our cells. Do we have a perfect antioxidant source in the life and death of Jesus? What is our role in the function of reactive oxygen species when we're combating sin? How do we apply um, the powerful force of the gospel to do away with sin in ourselves and to deal with it in others? Well, I'd like to share a story uh, with you that was a personal journey for me with what we might call some oxidative stress. And uh, it happened not too long after uh, our last year's conference and after I'd already been kind of thinking about the, uh, the topic that I wanted to give. So we'll call this patient Adam Clay Mansfield because I can't give you his real name, of course. Uh, and that's not his real x-ray. That's just grabbed off the internet so you can see what was going on. Um, this gentleman presented to my office. He was uh, in his 50s, mid to late 50s. And um, he had arthritis in his left hip. 
quite painful. He also had, interestingly, a residual clubfoot deformity. So his feet were not normal feet. It made it a little hard for him to keep his balance and to walk normally. Um, and he was happy to hear that a hip replacement would make his pain feel better. But he was concerned because he knew that he would need some rehabilitation. He lived alone. He, he wanted some help in that rehabilitation phase. And so I was happy to explain that at our hospital we have a discharge coordinator. If you need to go to a rehab facility, we'll make sure that happens for you and uh, everything will be fine. So he had a surgery and um, the PA that works at our hospital um, came by. I was in the operating room and it wasn't long after surgery. He became quite um, agitated. He became hostile. He was throwing things. He was uh, yelling at the nurses, cursing and swearing. Anybody have patients like that? Does that happen? What's that? Delirious. Well, he could have been delirious. But even after he, uh, <laughs> well, what do you do when a patient's like that? Well, if you're an orthopedic surgeon, you say, well, give him a, give him a milligram of Ativan and see if that helps. <laughs> well, that's what I did. So then I went to see him. Now, I have to be honest with you. I don't like confrontation. I don't like conflict. But I don't thrive on that. I want my patients to be happy, you know? And uh, I didn't feel like I could control the situation. Well, I went to see him. Uh, what was he doing? Sleeping. Sitting up, sleeping. Because So I couldn't interact with him. So. That was okay with me, I guess, because I really didn't want any conflict at the moment. Well, uh, the next day came, I went to see patients in my office, the PA rounded on him, still having trouble, giving the nurses a terrible time. And the problem for him was that the nurses that work at our hospital also work at the nearest skilled nursing facility where he was going to be placed. Now. What are the likely, what are the, what's the likelihood that he's going to be accepted there as a patient after this behavior? Now, even after he woke up and was no longer really confused, he was just angry, hostile, and uh, if you talk to his family, this was not an unusual occurrence. He didn't appear that way in the office when I first saw him, but we don't know what lies within us, do we? Maybe we're all free radicals at heart. Uh, certainly we are in Adam, that destructive force. And he refused to go to a skilled nursing facility farther away from home. So what happened was he was discharged to home. And it was snowing. So he was taken home. and His ex-wife came and tried to assist him. He alienated her. He fell several times at home. And he was mad. He was really mad. So he called our office. And he spoke to my staff, and he, well, he yelled at my staff. And he called me, and I uh, listened and uh, tried to explain to him that his own behavior had kind of created this situation for him. It wasn't my fault, right? Well, I finally got him to agree to come in for a follow-up appointment, which felt a little risky to me because he threatened on the phone to sue me, 
And he sounded so hostile that uh, I wondered if I would be a headline. <laughs> some of you remember, well, some of you know, I don't know if uh, Bob and Andy here, some of, them, some of you know the surgeon that was slain um, in Boston. And we had one near us in Reno, not too many hours away from where I practice. Somebody unhappy with the outcome of something goes in and kills their doctor. Now, maybe you think that's irrational, but this is the day in which we live. We're in the 11th hour. We're in the judgment hour, and bad things are happening. So I was a bit stressed when I thought of this man coming into the office. Um, but then the Holy Spirit started working on me. I mean, I did arrange for the sheriff's deputy to come and be president because <laughs> I didn't want my staff to get hurt. But if the sheriff's deputy's outside the room and I'm in the room and something happens, you know, I mean, he'll be able to help me, but it might be too late. Well, these are the kind of thoughts that came to me in the context of our topic this evening. Christ gave his life for all men, including this man. In Christ, he died to that humanity he has, and I share the same corporate humanity that he does. I'm no better than he is. In the same situation, if I'd been hurt in my life, if I had challenges like he had, I might behave just the same way. Um, I started to think, well, was I responsible for something here? Could I have done something different? Um, well, I'm really supposed to be the captain of the team here. And if somehow things were working out with them, um, I'm a bit responsible. So I experienced a bit of what some people might call corporate repentance. In the face of radical hostility, like hydroxyl radical, what is the answer? Well, I'd listened. I'd, I was a good listener, but he was still hostile. Um, I could have tried to respond in kind. Maybe I did by trying to place some of the blame on him. Well, we're trying to help you. You know, I could be like the reactive oxygen species, just let go on him, see if that would help. But the question was, and it, it came home in a, you know, a pretty real way. Am I willing to die for this patient? How was I to reveal the love of God to him? Could I be like nitric oxide, a messenger of the covenant of peace? Could he experience some increased flow of the love of God through me? Well, like hemifulvate, I did recognize that all died in him, in Christ, and in him all fullness dwelled. So he could handle this. What's the promise? Perfect love casts out fear. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. We're to be in the trenches with Christ. And no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. 
But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. It's okay to die. If God says it's time and it can glorify him, it's okay. Who knows how this patient had been hurt in the past? How was I to reveal the love of God to him? How could I communicate to him the life in Christ, the true vine, the nutrients of the bread from heaven? Well, there's a promise in the scripture. It's found in Hebrews. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and their minds. I will write them. And then he adds, their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So, The sheriff's deputy was out of sight. The patient was brought back. My medical assistant put the patient in the room. And the deputy was not visible to the patient, but he stepped aside just outside the room. And I entered the room. And I sat down next to the patient, to Adam, or AC, we could call him. And um, he said, Doc, we need to talk. He was still frustrated with how things had gone. I said, yeah, but let me talk first. I said, AC, I need to ask your forgiveness. You were really stressed after surgery. You were concerned about your rehab. And I should have come and ministered to you. Forgive me for that. He got tears in his eyes. And we had a good conversation. And then he asked me, he said, Doc, would you do me a favor? forgot to tell you. One other thing I did was that God had provided something. Had another patient come in earlier before I saw AC. This gentleman is always bearing gifts. And he brought me some organic eggs. I think they had double yolks. That's like really good, right? <laughs> and, uh, and some olives different kinds of olives, you know, stuff with garlic, stuff with jalapenos. 
this um, gentleman's an entrepreneur and a farmer. He helps other people start up different uh, farming businesses and what have you. And he had given those to me. So I thought, ah. Um, so I asked AC, I said, AC, do you like olives? Do you like eggs? So I went and got those and I gave those things to him. Um, hopefully the cholesterol and the antioxidant problem wouldn't be a problem for him. But, um, but he was very appreciative of that and it wasn't time to advance him in the health message at this point. But then AC turned to me and he said, hey, would you do me a favor? Um, and he was actually doing better at this point. He was walking, he was getting around, he was making it. He said, would you call my ex-wife and intercede for me with her? Because they were alienated because he had, in this, even at home, you know, while he was calling us, he was calling other people, he was giving everybody a very hard time. Life wasn't fair. And he was a free radical. But I saw the effect of my repenting to him, and he was immediately ready to reconcile. And that's what um, 2 Corinthians says, going onward, right? We become messengers. We become um, ambassadors for the gospel. We look at Christ at his baptism. He was willing to repent for all humanity. We look at the nearness of the Savior in his humanity coming close to us, willing to minister to us. In our humanity, he un, has undone the damage that sin has done in us and in others. The Holy Spirit is the messenger of the everlasting covenant. And we can be free to get to the root of the problem without fear. I'm thankful this worked out well. I'm glad I'm here to tell you the story. And I guess when I started, you knew that it would end at least with me surviving. <laughs> but can I make this trust in Christ and ministry for others a habit, an ongoing practice, not just an interesting vignette for the Amen Conference in 2016? Well, in closing, as I did last year, I'll offer you, an, again, an expanded paraphrase of the section of Isaiah 58, which follows the one that I shared with you last year, starting with verse 9. When you call out to me, I will be your answer. Your cry for help will reveal that I have always been closer than you thought. I will reveal myself to you and in you. Because I have been bearing the sin of all humanity and given them my life in exchange, you can choose to quit burdening others with the guilt of humanity you yourself share, pointing out their flaws and faults, telling them how bad they are. If you receive my heart yearning for those who are hungering for something better, who are attacked by the enemy on every side, the light of my love will conquer your fear and dispel the gloom enshrouding those around you. I will cause my word to guide you in every situation my love will satisfy what your soul thirsts for. You will have the most solid framework of truth. My never failing love, my selflessness will grow on you and freely flow out of you. Your children, those newborn in Christ who see this love in action 
will join you in placing my righteousness as the cornerstone of the church where it has always belonged. Then you will truly be called my commandment-keeping people who have restored the path of righteousness by faith, revealing my faith and love as I dwell in you. As we behold Christ, the master physician, the medical missionary, in his perfect life, in his representative death, may it truly free us to practice radically in his service in this, the last hours of earth's history. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for the lessons that we see at the atomic and molecular level that teach us about these battles that go on in the great controversy. We pray that your energy, the energy of your love, that selfless love on which the universe runs, might find its free flow through and in us and to others. May we be messengers of the everlasting covenant as we minister to those around us. May your perfect love cast out our fear to continue your healing ministry. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.